0: Um, I'm going to uh, read to us from um, Paul's letter to the Romans, um, chapter uh, 5, verses 12 to 21. If you'd like to follow in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1132. Death through Adam, life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. If the the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the, the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more through that one man—sorry, so, excuse me—how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one—just as the result of one trespass—was condemnation for all men so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who uh, aren't part of our regular church family here at St. Giles, uh, and perhaps especially those members of uh, Thomas's uh, family and friends who are with us for um, his fantastic baptism this morning. Um, I hope you'll forgive me for uh, continuing this morning with the latest uh, part of our sermon series, a series uh, which has been looking at holiness, what it means to be holy. Um, God willing, what I'm going to share with you this morning, looking at um, this reading from Paul's letter to the early Christians in Rome, um, and also bringing in a couple of other Bible passages, will stand uh, in its own right as a sermon stand on it on its own in that respect and I pray that it'll um, register something in your hearts and minds of the way in which God's love extends to every one of us the love that's demonstrated um, in the baptismal service uh, which uh, we've all just been a part of in our recent uh, Sundays we've looked at the holiness of God himself Uh, at how Jesus is our reference point for what holiness looks like At how it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us uh, through that that we may become more Christ-like, more holy. We've looked at the holiness of the church and we've considered the pursuit of holiness as a journey with God. And then uh, last week, uh, Jonathan Mole, um, who's in training to, uh, to uh, be a member of the clergy, um, halfway through his training from our congregation, uh, he shared with us about how God sees us and also how we encounter him in all his holiness. It's certainly not my intention to repeat Jonathan's preach from last Sunday, but I'd like um, to re-emphasize a couple of things that he said. First of all, um, I loved the definition of uh, becoming holy that he shared with us, um, which comes from uh, the writings of the last Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Archbishop Rowan writes that to become holy is to be so taken over by the extraordinariness of God, that that is what you are really interested in, and that is what radiates from you to reflect on other people. So to be holy is to be taken over by the extraordinariness of God. For the vast majority of us, um, I think this isn't sort of withdrawing um, from the world into, into some holy huddle. Although for a limited number of people, um, perhaps the process of drawing closer to God in this way, becoming holier, um, can mean just that, can mean separating themselves from the busyness of the world, the distractions of the world. But I think for the vast majority of us, it's opening ourselves to be filled by God's love, God's love for us, such that this is what others see radiating out from us when we encounter them in our day-to-day comings and goings, when we speak to them in our conversations, when we listen to them, in every interaction that we have with those around us in life. Jonathan also offered us um, the thought that there's no good self-help book on holiness with the obvious exception. Uh, you'll be pleased uh, to hear, given that I'm wearing a, uh, one of these, uh, of the Bible. Um, but an implication of this statement, uh, and indeed of, uh, of much of what we've been talking about uh, during this last month and a half, um, is that holiness is something that we can, and indeed we should, uh, work towards. It's a state of of being towards which uh, through prayer and worship and engaging with scripture and godly actions we can apparently progress according to this way of thinking i had a pretty good day yesterday i spent my quiet time with god reading uh, my bible passages for the day and praying first thing in the morning i didn't grumble at having to change Esther's nappy for the third time in an hour I hope, though you'll have to ask her for a second opinion that I was reasonably, at least, considerate and supportive towards Claire especially because she had drawn the short straw with Esther's sleep the night before um, and it was one of her more disturbed nights so on balance, I think I didn't do badly Perhaps I'm even, therefore, a little bit holier, if you like, than I was on Friday. Well, the Bible has some news for me, some mixed news for me in this regard. Let's look at what our reading from Romans says. I should say as well, um, for those of you who might have been slightly phased by it, that what St. Paul says to uh, the Roman Christians here is quite a complicated piece of theology. Um, So I'll try my best to explain how it relates uh, to what I'm going to say about holiness um, and whether uh, my relatively good day uh, yesterday might have made me uh, a bit holier or indeed whether my uh, slightly less angelic day on Friday when I was tired and grumpy and a bit cheesed off with God uh, because things uh, didn't seem to be working out as I'd prayed to him about, um, as, the, as though uh, uh, that, that Friday uh, perhaps conversely made me rather less holy. And of course this equally means um, how what I'm saying about holiness relates not just to me but to each one of you as well, how it relates to um, your day-to-day lives, how it relates to your ups and your downs, to your better days and your worst days, how it relates to the days when you feel closer to God's will for your life, and how it relates to the days when you feel perhaps as though you're miles away from his plans for your flourishing. In this passage, Paul looks back to Adam as a representative figure for the whole of humanity. He looks back to him as the first human being in the creation story. The creation story that, uh, that tells us not how the world was literally created in seven days, but uh, as an allegory um, speaks to us about the most fundamental truths of human nature. It tells us about our relationships with one another. It tells us about our relationship with creation, and it tells us about our relationship with our creator, God. So Paul says um, that through the actions of Adam in the fall, almost, at, uh, almost in the very first chapters of Genesis, at the very start of the Bible, all of humanity is in a fallen state, That's to say, we've all fallen short of God's plans for us. In the specific language of the passage, uh, Paul says that Adam's actions allowed sin to enter into the world, to enter into our lives, to enter into the lives of each one of us. And in consequence, rather than uh, the eternal relationship, with God, characterised by a complete absence of sin. The life in which we find ourselves is one in which there's no escape from such sin, or of its ultimate consequence, the inevitability of death, as the passage says. So, no matter how relatively good our thoughts and actions on any given day may appear to have been, no matter how many uh, of my yesterdays as opposed to my Fridays uh, punctuate my life or indeed punctuate your life, we're still so far from the holiness of God himself that any attempts on our part through trying to be super holy every day, uh, any attempts to get close to him will still fall infinitely short. It's a bit like uh, imagining the holiness of God as the summit of Mount Everest. Even if we were the holiest human being on earth, we'd still, rather than being um, perhaps somewhere around, uh, if you like, Holiness Base Camp or uh, Holiness Camp 2, somewhere up uh, the northeast ridge, we'd still be stuck on the tarmac in Kathmandu Airport waiting to clear passport control. But despite all of this, there is good news for us. There's hope. Hope coming to us in the person of Jesus. In, as Paul says, God's abundant provision of grace. The provision of grace with which he reaches out to each one of us. Through God's gift of his grace to you and to me. Through Jesus' life and death on the cross and his resurrection through those we're able to be united once again with our heavenly father if we choose to accept jesus into our lives encountering his living presence through the work of the holy spirit in us it's as if when god looks at us he sees not our sinfulness but the perfection of the only one who has ever been without sin Jesus standing in our place before him. This is what we're doing in baptism, the baptism of Thomas that we've just celebrated. As Paul says in in the next chapter, in Romans chapter 6, we're uniting ourselves with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection as we enter new life, the new life of baptism in him and in his holy family, the church. As the Christian writer Jerry Bridges puts it, your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Turning again to St. Paul's words from Romans, the book of Romans. One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people that is every person ever each one of you and me as well we all have the opportunity no matter the sort of life that we have lived to become right with God once again and to attain eternal life with him to attain that through Jesus's death on the cross in atonement for our sins so if God's grace extends to each one of us with the potential to transform our lives into Christ-likeness. If this trumps any attempt on our part to live our lives in a way that strives to be holy, is there any point in doing that? Is there any point in striving to be holy? Why don't we just go out and do whatever we feel like, and then come to God in repentance, and all apparently should be okay? Well, I don't want to say too much about this today because um, Peter Watkins will be speaking uh, to us this coming Sunday uh, about the next chapter in Romans, which is precisely where Paul uh, addresses this in more detail. I don't want to steal Peter's thunder. Um, But suffice to say this morning um, that this is not God's plan for our lives It's because of the love that God has extended to us in the ultimate self-sacrifice of Jesus. That as Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ, we can only respond to his love and his grace with love from within our own hearts. It's both and, if you like, not either or. It's both um, uh, following the journey of holiness with Christ (laughs) as well as being uh, recipients of his boundless grace in our lives. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, we see uh, in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, how the Pharisee does all the right things, it would seem. He's going up to the temple to offer his sacrifice to God. He fasts, apparently, twice a week. He gives 10% of his income for God's purposes, and he follows the strict moral code of the Jewish people absolutely to the letter. And yet, uh, in the words of his prayer in the temple, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. In the words of that prayer, we know that he believes his own publicity in the pride of keeping all of his religious rules and actions he's forgotten that he's still so far from God from the holiness of God that it can only ever be through God's grace and not his own actions that he can be saved his response doesn't come from the heart But the tax collector, on the other hand, a man who would have been reviled by all of Jesus' listeners as someone who uh, extracted huge levies from the Jewish people uh, to pay to their Roman occupiers or, or their puppet rulers. This tax collector dare not even look up to heaven as he prays. He prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He prays from his heart. He prays in complete humility before the God of absolute holiness. He knows within the core of his being that it's only through God's grace that he can be reconciled to his heavenly Father. If you're here today as someone who already seeks to follow Jesus in your life, may you too do so with the attitude of this tax collector. May you do so secure in the knowledge and the joy of God's promises for you and of his liberating grace. But may you also do so realizing how far we all fall short of the holiness which is his holy plan for each one of us. And if you haven't yet asked Jesus into your life, perhaps what you've heard today of our loving God's desire that we respond to his invitation to come back to him and of his infinite grace when we come before him in humility. Perhaps this will encourage you to seek him again. He extends his loving hand to each one of us here. I encourage you to reach out your hand, to place it in his, and begin your journey with him along his path of holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a holy God, holier than we can ever conceive. And that you call each one of us to be holy just as you are holy. We thank you for your extraordinary grace. That even when we are so far removed from your holiness, you made the first move to draw us back to you. Through and in the person of Jesus Christ. In his death on the cross and resurrection to new life. We pray that we will always come before you in humility, aware of how far we fall short, but not wallowing in guilt over what we may have done in the past, because in Christ you have set us free from the power of sin to live in your godly freedom. And we ask too, Lord, that in gratitude for all that you have done for us and out of love for your person. We may continue to respond to your call to live a holy life worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen.